Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. And if you haven't done so, you can sign the guest book, which is located there at the rear of the building. By way of announcements, I do want to make mention of the fact that if you haven't noticed, the front entrance is closed off. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's, it's a mess. Uh, the steps are falling apart. And I'm pleased to report that uh, we're in the process of getting those fixed, hopefully within the next month or so. Uh, all that will be taken out. New steps will be put in. So uh, children, just don't go near it. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything because now the temptation's there, but, you know, don't, uh, don't go near the front steps. Just use the side doors, the back door, and hopefully we'll look forward to having all that cleared out uh, soon. And so just to make that announcement. The other announcements are in your bulletin. We will be having lunch together following this service this morning, and then after lunch, around 145, we'll have an afternoon service. Wednesday, we'll meet at Zoom on for prayer meeting so you can come and be a part of that on zoom and then you see next sunday will be an unusual sunday it is according to your calendars easter sunday but we firmly believe every lord's day is easter sunday it's the celebration of christ's resurrection but in light of that reality we will be having an early worship service at 9:45, a shorter service and then we'll have brunch and there's a sign-up sheet on the website for things that need to be brought. And then at 11 o'clock, we'll have our regular worship service, and that will be it for the day. So two worship services in the, in the morning hours with brunch in between. All right, and then ladies, there's the announcement about the Bible study in your bulletin. If you have questions, you can see Joe about that. So those are the things you want to keep in mind. Well, now as we give ourselves to the worship of our God, I would remind you of Joshua's statement when he says these words, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No matter what Israel does, whether they go this way or that way, Joshua says, I'm going to serve the Lord with my house. Ralph, D Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary, says, Popular opinion may differ. It makes no difference. Here's where I come down, no matter what. Do you have that same commitment? A determination to serve the Lord, and with your house, serve Him together. Well, I pray that God will use our time together this morning to help you with that commitment to serve Him and him alone. Will you prepare your hearts to meet with God?
Inside your bulletin is the call to worship from Psalm 37. It is a psalm that calls upon us in the midst of evil days not to fret. And that word fret doesn't mean, I often thought it meant to worry. It doesn't mean don't worry. What it means is don't, don't be inflamed. Don't become upset. Don't become unhinged. But, but trust in God. Mr. Plumer says this, It is impossible to live well or to die well to profit by God's word or providence unless we trust in the Lord. If you want to live and die well, you want to benefit from God's word and what he brings into your life, then you trust God. With that, will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now with that set before us, take your Trinity hymn books and turn to that familiar hymn 133. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. Charles Wesley heard a man once say, if I had a thousand tongues, I would use them all to give praise to God. And with that, he wrote this hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, 133.
pardon our rebellion. Who will not stay angry with us forever, but delights in showing us loyal love over and over again. Who has shown us great mercy and demonstration of your love by sending Christ to this earth to die for our sins. So once again this morning we gather together to worship you. As we sing songs and raise our voices, as we proclaim your word through the reading and preaching and proclamation of it, we pray our worship would be pleasing to you, that you would help us to hear with good ears, open ears, and that our hearts would be changed and our lives would show that fruit as we continue forward. And it is in this name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now as we continue singing out of the Trinity hymn book, turning to 490, hymn 490, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. 490.
you're in Matthew 15, and as you remember the conclusion of Matthew 15, we see the feeding of the 4,000, the great sign and miracle that Christ performed. And yet, at the beginning of our chapter this morning, we see a demand for a sign, that he truly is the Son of God. Uh, I've often wondered, is the reason the way that Jesus responds to them because they had just seen this sign of the feeding? But he ultimately says that they will receive no sign except for the sign of Jonah. He continues to scold them, we'll say, um, for their lack of belief and encourages all those around them as he scolds them to not be like them who are questioning uh, who he is. Um, we see Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. And yet we will also notice that Peter and the others still don't fully understand what's going on. There's, there's still some confusion in their minds as to what Jesus is up to and the true reason of why he came. And then Christ tells us uh, of his first prediction of his death, which is uh, soon to follow. And so if you will, follow along with me this morning as we read Matthew chapter 16. Now when the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he said, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, because the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, because the sky is red and darkened. You know how to judge correctly the appearance of the sky, but you cannot evaluate the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. When his disciples went to the other side, they forgot to take bread. Watch out, Jesus said to them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, Is it because we brought no bread? When Jesus learned of this, he said, You who have such little faith, why are you arguing among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many baskets you took up? How could you not understand that I was not speaking to you about bread? But beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he had not told them to be on guard against the yeast and bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They answered, Well, some say John the Baptist, and others. Elijah and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, You are blessed, Simon the son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower you. 
will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And what you, whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Then he instructed his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, God forbid, Lord, this must not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God's interests but on man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what does it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his life? Or what can a person give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not experience death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now this morning we want to pray especially for the Grace Baptist Church in Canton, Michigan, with Pastors Cook, Ibrahimson, and Bauer. So we want to seek our God together, praying for this assembly in particular. Let's pray together. As we approach you this morning, our God, we are confronted with the question that was asked as we read your word this morning. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? If a, man, if a man gains the whole world and yet loses his soul and spends eternity separated from you, what has he gained? And therefore, Father, we pray that each one of us might see and appreciate the value of our never-dying soul. And the fact that the soul will live forever. And you've told us that if we know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, we will go and be in your presence. And yet your word reminds us that those who do not know you, those who seek to come to you by their own works or their own good deeds, by their own actions, they will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And therefore, Father, we pray that we would be those who seek the things above, not the things on earth. And that, Father, those who may be among us and those in other places where the word of God is being preached, that you would open their eyes to the need of a Savior, a Savior of sinners, and that Savior is provided by you in your Son, Jesus Christ. And in Him we can know the forgiveness of sin. In Him we can know what it is to be reconciled before God. In Him we can know what it is to be declared innocent of all wrongdoing, justified in your presence. So, Father, we pray that not only here, 
that all throughout our county and state and around the world, you would be pleased to open those eyes that are blind and bring many to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful for your work in other places and for the advancement of your kingdom in those places. We thank you for the Grace Baptist Church there in Canton and for the many years of fellowship that we've enjoyed with that church. We ask that you would watch over them and keep them. We pray, Father, that you would be with their elders and help them to be faithful shepherds of the flock of God. We pray that as they gather together that their worship would be that which is well-pleasing in your sight. Father, we pray as well that you would be with our nation. We are a sinful nation. We see evil and immorality all around us. We see confusion and uncertainty all around us. We see so many who are seeking to suppress the truth, the truth that they know in their own conscience, that there is a God, and they will be accountable to that God. Father, how we pray that as a nation we would repent of our sin, repent of our rebellion, and follow after you. We pray that you would be pleased to raise up leaders who fear God more than they fear men, who consider others more important than themselves. Have mercy on us, O Lord, we pray, even as a nation. Father, how we pray that you would draw near to us in our time in your word this morning. Father, you know every individual that's gathered in this place and, and how we pray that the word of God would be effective in their lives for your glory. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take your hymns of grace, the hymns of grace, turning over to 388. 388, he will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. 388.
Now, for those of you who looked at your calendar this morning and said, oh, it's Palm Sunday, we're not looking at that passage of Scripture this morning. We will look at it this afternoon, though. As I thought about the afternoon, I thought, what can we look at? So we'll look at that triumphal entry this afternoon. But this morning I want to continue on with our study through the book of Deuteronomy. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Begin reading at verse 6. Children of Israel are getting ready to enter into the promised land. Moses is giving them some instruction. And he goes on with that instruction starting there in verse 6. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. And from that day you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was angry with you that He would have destroyed you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone and the tablets of the covenant which the Lord had made with you, then I remained on the mountain for forty days and nights. I neither ate bread or drank water. And the Lord gave me two tablets of stone written by the finger of God, and on them were the words which the Lord had spoken with you at the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly." And it came about at the end of forty days and nights that the Lord gave me two tablets of stone, tablets of the covenant. And then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down from here quickly, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them, that they, may, that they have made a molten image for themselves." The Lord spoke further to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone, that I may destroy them, blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. And so I turned and came down from the mountain, while the mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands." And I saw that you indeed sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves molten calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. I took hold of the two tablets and threw them from my hands and smashed them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first forty days and forty nights, I, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and the hot displeasure with which the Lord was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. And the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. So I prayed for Aaron at the same time. 
And I took your sinful things, the calf which you made, and I burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that came down from the mountain. Again at Taberar and Massa and at Kabroth, Hatterval. You provided the Lord, to, you provoked the Lord to wrath. When the Lord sent you to Kabash Bardia, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Neither believed him nor listened to his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. So I fell down before the Lord for the forty days and nights which I did because the Lord had said He would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people, even your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have bought, brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and do not look at the stubbornness of this people or at their wickedness or their sin. Otherwise, the land which you brought us may say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he had promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people, even your inheritance, whom you have brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. We read in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 these words. Watch over your hearts with all diligence, for from it flows the spring of life. We're exhorted by the writer in Proverbs to diligently watch over our own hearts. Charles Bridges writes in his commentary, Nothing is more difficult while nothing is more necessary. He goes on to say, Whatever else we know, to neglect this knowledge is to be a fool at best. To guard your own heart Watch your own heart with diligence to neglect that knowledge, Mr. Bridges says, is to be a fool at best. May I say that one of the saddest things I've experienced is to know and to hear of individuals who knew the truth, supposedly embraced the truth, profess to live by the truth, proclaim the truth, and yet with all that opportunity and with all those privileges have fallen away. Have fallen away. Many into scandalous sin. You perhaps know of some. Some famous so-called preachers, 
who have done that. And as we come to this passage this morning, such a warning ought to come to our minds. This passage is telling us to diligently watch over our hearts. And we need to look at this passage with careful consideration. Consideration of our own life. Consideration of our own proneness to wonder or even leave the God we love. This is not just an historical event. It's not something that happened simply many, many years ago that we read like we read our history books. But this passage ought to serve as a warning to each one of us. This passage comes to a people who had many great privileges. They had wonderful opportunities. And yet they are described as a stubborn people. One man has said these individuals had had a great amount of personal spiritual knowledge of God and who had had wonderful, personal, amazing, historical experience of the presence and the power of God. And yet they rebelled. Such experiences does not exempt us from taking heed to the exhortation to diligently watch our own hearts. Do you know how many people have said over time, I would never do such a thing that by and by did just that. Playing with sin will take you to places you never thought you would go and have you do things you never thought you would do. And this passage is a reminder that regardless of our knowledge, of our experience in the presence and power of God, we must watch our own hearts. And so may this morning the Spirit of God cause each one of us to come to this passage, not just to hear a review of what took place many years ago with the wilderness generation, but to think this may happen to me. In the words of the Apostle Paul there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when speaking about such a generation, he says, most of them was not well-pleasing to God. For they were laid low in the wilderness. He goes on to say, Now these things happened to them. Talking about the wilderness generation. These things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction. And so may the Word of God come to us this morning as an example for us to consider and as a word of instruction for us who live in this age. And so as we open up this passage of Scripture, I want to do so under three headings. First of all, notice with me from the passage, the wonderful favors enjoyed 
the wonderful favors enjoyed. Moses is here instructing the Israelites who are about to enter the promised land. And as he does so, he rehearses in their hearing the realities of the past. And he's saying to them, you are marked out because of your past as a stubborn people. He's already told them, you're entering into this land not because of your righteousness. It's not because of your spirituality that you're getting this land. In fact, you might recall that a couple weeks ago when we looked at the first five verses, we understand that they're entering into this land because of God's mighty power, because of God's amazing grace, and because of God's steadfast faithfulness. That's why, they're, why they are entering this land. And so Moses is now speaking to this next generation. And he wants them to learn from the old and to keep watch over their own hearts so that they might enjoy the blessings and the favor and the presence of Almighty God. Now as we think of the favors that God shows upon them, there are two in particular that I have you notice. First of all, they were a people who were instructed from God. They received instruction from God. God told them what His will for them was when He gave them the ten words or the ten commandments. They were not left to wonder, what does God expect of us? God tells them, you're to have no other gods before me. Don't put any other god before my, my face. It's very clear. It's also interesting to note that the instructions they received did not come to them by way of a prophet. They were instructed by the very mouth of God. They were instructed by the mouth and the finger of God. You know, God often speaks to His people through prophets, through holy men, moved by the Holy Spirit. He, he, he would speak to His people. But on this occasion, God speaks to them. They heard from God. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1 starts this way. Then God spoke all these words saying. They heard directly from God. They were also instructed by way of receiving two tablets wherein the commandments were written by the finger of God. They have this instruction given to them it demonstrated a wonderful favor that God showered upon them. What a benefit. They, they have the Word of God. And that's no small manner. Our confession says this concerning the Word of God. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving Knowledge, faith, and obedience. 
And although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness and the wisdom and the power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary for salvation. The, the writers of our confession says this is a, a treasure that we have because it tells us the sufficient, infallible rule of the knowledge, faith, and obedience to God. And while men can look out at nature and know there's a God, and they know that God is a good God, and they know that God is a wise God, and they can know that God is a powerful God by looking at nature. Nature does not instruct man concerning that which is necessary for salvation. You don't look at a tree and say to yourself, you know what, I'm a sinner, look at that tree. But the Word of God reminds us that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We, we won't walk out this morning and look up. We may walk out and say, wow, look at this wonderful day that God has given to us. What a great God we serve. But you won't walk out and look up at the sun and say, you know what, I need a Savior. The Word of God tells us you need a Savior. Your sin has separated you from God. And the only way there can be reconciliation is by knowing Jesus Christ, being united to Him in faith. To have the Word of God is, is a wonderful favor that God has granted to us. It's a wonderful gift. But let me say this. It does not mean that we should become lazy in watching over our own hearts. Having such a favor is not in itself a safety device against the enticement of the flesh. Most of us, I would imagine, probably have at least four or five Bibles on the shelf at home. In my office... On one of my shelves, I probably have six or seven Bibles. What a wonderful gift. But simply having the Bible, having the Word of God, doesn't mean I won't be enticed to sin. It doesn't mean I won't fall away. I've got to make use of the Word of God. I've got to be in the Word of God. I've got to commune with Almighty God. I've got to guard my own heart. We might have great instruction about the Word of God. You might have great theology. You might know the confession of faith backwards and forwards. But that in and of itself will not protect you from wandering away from God. That in and of itself will not keep you from having a heart that's growing cold. In my lifetime, two men who were my mentors, who I heard proclaim the Word of God, who were greatly used in my life and in my walk with God, 
have made shipwrecks of their lives. And it's not because they didn't know the truth. And it's not because they had shoddy theology. There's been plenty of so-called preachers who have shoddy theology who have fallen. But my friend, Reformed Baptist preachers can fall as well if they don't keep their hearts. These people had the blessing of instruction from God. And yet they still rebelled. They still were filled with spiritual pride. But not only that, another favor they enjoyed was an encounter with God. An encounter with God. They not only had instruction from God Himself, they also had encounter with God. Remember when they went up the mountain? And the mountain shook and there was thunder and lightning with fire. Look over, look back over to chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5. We read there in verse 22, the, the, the Ten Commandments are given to them. And it says, These words the Lord spoke to you, to all of your assembly at the mountain and in the midst of the fire of the cloud of the thick gloom with a great voice and he added no more and he wrote them on tablets of stone and gave them to me and when we heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire you came near to me all the heads of your tribes and your elders and you said behold the Lord your God has shown us His glory and His greatness. And we have heard His voice from the midst of the fire. And we have seen Him, we have seen today that God speaks with a man, that, that God speaks with man and yet He lives. Look at this encounter that they had with God. Darkness, fire, the mountain shakes, the glory and the power and the greatness is seen. What an experience! What would, we, what would your reaction been on that occasion? If you experienced such a thing with God, how would you respond? Would we say something like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to faithfully follow that God. I'm going to stay close to Him. I'm going to be obedient to Him. You think that such an experience of fire and, and shaking and thunder and lightning would have kept them from following after other gods. How dare you fall? Look, look at what you've experienced with the true God. And yet it is only a little while later that they're building for themselves an idol. An idol. And they're beginning to complain about their circumstances and about their situation. I mean, I mean, think about all their other experiences and encounters with God. I mean, I, I don't know when all... Uh, there, there, there was a pillar, a cloud by day, and a fire by night that led them. They, they get to the Red Sea, and, and the enemy's coming up against them, and God parts the Red Sea. They get hungry, and God provides them with manna from heaven. They get thirsty, and God gives them water from a rock. 
Consider all these encounters and experiences. And yet that in themselves did not keep them from rebellion and complaining and following after idols. You see, it's, here's a lesson. It doesn't matter what you've been taught or what you've encountered or what you've seen if you don't guard your own heart. May we be a people who are ever growing in our knowledge of God. May we long to know more about Him. May we enjoy the sweetness of our encounters with God. I pray that as we come together, there's a sense of God's presence with us that we might leave here and say, wow, wasn't it great to have been in the house of God today? God met with us. But with all that, if we don't keep our hearts, who knows where we'll end up? Who knows what will become of us? My friends, we read here about the wonderful favor that God has shown these people. And yet we read about their rebellion their unbelief, their complaining, their idolatry, and even their sexual immorality. Well, notice secondly, and I must move quickly, but secondly, notice from this passage of Scripture, the unwatchful heart exposed. The unwatchful heart exposed. Listen to what is said about these people there in verses 6 through 8. Know then that it is because of, not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is, is giving you this good land to possess for you a, to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget, you provoke the Lord. Your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath and the Lord was so angry with you that He would have destroyed you. You were hardly out of Egypt. You, you just received His instruction. You encountered so much, but... So quickly, you provoke God's anger when you, when you set up this idol. You, you made a calf and you began to worship it. And God was so angry that, that He could have destroyed you. He reminds them further on in the passage there in verse 20, 22, Taborah. You read about Taborah there in Numbers chapter 11. It was there that the people started complaining and murmuring. And God brought fire to consume some of the outskirts of the camp. He mentions here about Massa. 
and Kabroth Tyaval. And there we go again to, to, to Numbers chapter 11 and, and Exodus chapter 17. And, and here we have the occasion where the people, God was providing manna for them. And as God's providing manna for them, they begin complaining, saying, We want meat! We want, we don't, man, we want the meat! They were discontented. And what does God do? It says He sent them quail from the sea. And they went out and gathered up the quail. And the Bible says, even while some were having the quail in their mouth, God's wrath came upon them and they were killed. We know that there on the mountain when Moses comes down, we read about it in chapter uh, 11. But we know that when Moses comes down off the mountain and they build an idol, they, they also were engaged in sexual immorality. So, so here's a people who, who were given so much and yet they've engaged in discontentment complaining, sexual immorality, and even idolatry. And that's been exposed. And the wrath and the anger of God is brought up. Brought up. You see, what's amazing is these people had a mentality that says, you know, you know why we're getting the promised land? You know why we're getting the problem? Because we're such a righteous people. We're such a good people. Look, look at what look at what God has done for us. Look, we have His Word and, and He's provided for us. And, and now because of who we are, look at what we're getting. We're getting the new land. And God says, you better think again. And dear people, we can do the same thing. We can find ourselves filled with with spiritual pride. We're Reformed Baptist. We have a confession of faith. The 1689 Baptist London Confession of Faith. That's our confession. We hold to the regular principle of worship. We're not going to bring into worship anything except what God has ordained ought to be brought into worship. We hold to a plurality of elders. We, we have, all, all, look at us. And can be guilty of spiritual pride that God will bring us low. If our hearts are filled with bitterness, and pride, and complaining, and discontentment, judgmentalism, we're no better than these people. We're no better than they are. If you know your confession well, and yet are in bondage to your own lust, you're no better than these people are. If you have a soteriology, doctrine of salvation, an eschatology, doctrine of end times that is biblically based and yet find yourself 
doubting, discouraged, depressed. You know better than these people are. We see what happens to an unwatchful heart even though it's been given great privileges and opportunities and experiences. Guard your heart. Well then thirdly, notice with me from this passage, not only do we see the wonderful favor enjoyed and the unwatchful heart exposed, but then finally the gracious hope explained. The gracious hope explained. Listen to what Moses says to these people. Look at verse 15. So I turned and came down from the mountain while the mountain was burning with fire. And two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I saw that you had indeed sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourself a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way in which the Lord had commanded you. I took hold of the two tablets, threw them from my hands, smashed them before your eyes. I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate or drank drank water because of your sin which you have committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid the anger and the hot displeasure with which the Lord was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was angry with enough with Aaron to destroy him. So I also prayed for him and Aaron at the same time. These people had it, had a mediator. These people had a mediator that went to God on their behalf. And the mediator pleads with God, don't destroy them. For your name's sake, don't destroy them. Have mercy upon them. They are your people. You have promised them for your own name's sake. You have promised them this land. Give them this land. And we're told here that the only reason they were going into the land is because God had provided them a mediator to intercede for them. You're entering because of the intercession spoken on your behalf. It is because God redeemed you, made a covenant with you, and because Moses took your sin and he burned it and he crushed it and he grinded it into dust and he threw the dust into the brook. It's because Moses was there pleading on your behalf. It's because Moses stood between you and the wrath of God and he pleaded your case for you. Dear friends, that's our only hope. I know my own heart well enough. And I know the things that I've done, the things that I've said, the things that I've thought that were evil. And I wonder, why doesn't God just destroy me? Why doesn't He start all over again? And the only answer is this. I have an intercessor. I have one who pleads my cause before Him. He's my mediator between God and man. 
And my friends, the reason I'm able to press on, the reason God hasn't forsaken me, is because of Jesus Christ who prays for me. We sang before we looked at this word. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. That doesn't mean I have a liberty just to go out and live any way I want and do whatever I want. There is forgiveness with God. Blessed be His name. But there's forgiveness with God that He might be feared. Not so I can live any way I want to. This passage reminds us of the reality that the one true and living God has sent a mediator for His children. And that mediator took my sins. He crushed it. And because of His intercession on my behalf, one day, one day I will enter into that glorious land. Our hope, our confidence is because we have such a mediator. One who stands between us and the wrath of God. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. We are not destroyed. We are not forsaken. We have one that prays for us. Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, Pastor, it sounds like, Pastor, it sounds like you're a rascal. It sounds like you're still sinning. And maybe it sounds like you've got a whole congregation that may be still sinning. Oh, we do. Yeah, it's true. There's no one perfect here. Absolutely right. If my sins were put up on a screen, I'd be embarrassed. I'd be embarrassed. But my friend, the wonderful thing is, is I do have a mediator. Jesus Christ. And He's holding me fast. He's taking care of me. My friend, what are you going to have when you stand before God? You're going to stand before God all by yourself? Here I am. Not a bad person. Never spent any time in prison. You think God's going to say, okay, well, yeah, you're looking. No, He's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. You need a mediator. You need someone to stand between you and God. And there's one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. So how do I bring all this home? What's the application? Well, I've mentioned it to you already, but just for a moment, take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And here the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, warns them of not doing what the children of Israel did. For we read, starting in verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers 
were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Look at what they experienced. They encountered the cloud passing through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate of the same spiritual food and drank of the same spiritual drink. For they were all drinking from from a spiritual rock which followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down and ate and drank and stood up and played. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble. See, I'm tempted to stop there, but I won't. Nor grumble as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. There's the application. Let a man who thinks this will never happen to me take heed, hear the warning, lest you fall. So Paul takes what we just considered from Deuteronomy 9 and says, Dear people, learn from this. And so now many years later, in Adrian, Michigan, a small assembly gathers together in a building on the corner of Church and Locust. And the pastor stands up and he says the same thing. Dear people, if you think you stand, Take heed, lest you fall. May God help us. And may we bless Him for a wonderful intercessor that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do give You thanks. Thanks for this passage of Scripture that instructs us. Thank You for this Scripture that is an example for us. Father, we've enjoyed many favors from You. You've given us Your Word to direct our steps. You've provided Your only begotten Son that through Him we can have the forgiveness of sin. We, We have known in the past of days where You came and met with us. And we've gone home with just a small taste of glory as we think of how You were pleased to come and meet with us. Father, many of us have experienced times alone with You, sweet communion with You, that we've enjoyed. And yet, Father, we need to be diligent in keeping our own hearts. We thank You that we do not fall into despair because we have a mediator who prays for us, who will keep us, 
Father, we, we need to be diligent in taking heed lest we fall. Satan's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he will seek to entice us to destroy us. And therefore, Father, may we keep short accounts with you. May we seek to live to please you every day. And then, Father, we pray for those who may be among us who do not have this hope. They realize it's a fearful thing to stand before a God who knows me altogether. How, how am I able to stand before such a God? A God who is perfectly holy. How do I ever convince Him that by my actions, by my words, that, that I'm perfectly holy? And that, Father, perhaps they feel the, the weight of the wrath of God that will come upon all unbelievers. And yet we pray that they would see the Savior. Open their eyes to see the Savior, we pray, even this morning, that they might turn from sin and trust Jesus Christ. So, Father, do a work that only You can do, and through it bring glory to Yourself. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's take our hymn books, the Trinity hymn books. Turning to 100, what is it? I don't have it. 35. 135. I greet thee, who my sure Redeemer art, my only trust, the Savior of my heart. 135. Stand together as we sing.
Well, very good. If you can, we invite you to stay for lunch, and then about 1.45 after the afternoon service. May God help you and give you the grace you need just to keep your heart sweet with Him. Stay in sweet communion with Almighty God. Your Jesus.